which is coming from the 100th number of the psalm. And it says, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people. We are his people. We are his people. And the sheep of his pasture enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. For the Lord is good. St. John, the Lord is good. And his truth endureth forever. Father God, we come now and Lord, we just say thank you. Father, we come thanking you for this awesome privilege we have of coming into this place to worship you, to magnify your name, to lift you up, to exalt you among all the nations. Father, we come now asking that you'll accept our worship. Let it be acceptable to you, God. If there be anything in us that's hindering, we ask you right now to remove it, to cleanse it so that we can worship you in spirit and in truth. Father, we pray for the songs that will go up. We pray for the, the playing of the instruments. Father, we pray for the singing of songs, God, that this will all be acceptable unto you. And then, Father, we pray for your preach word that's going to go forth. Let it hit fertile ground. Father, let it come back to you with rejoicing and with souls saved. And Lord, we be ever so careful to make sure that your name gets all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise because you and you alone are worthy of it. In your son Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said amen, amen. Again, I greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we say you are welcome here. We've come to worship God this morning. We've come to worship God this morning. We've come to worship God this morning. And if there be any visitors or guests among us, know that at St. John, you're always welcome. If you desire salvation or membership, you can obtain a form from the bench in front of you. Complete it, return it to the desk, front desk, give it to an usher, or you can put it in the offering basket, and someone from St. John will reach out to you promptly. Amen? Let's get ready to go further into the worship of God. Let's give God a hand clap of praise, of gratitude, and thanks. St. John, this is a day that the Lord has made. Any worshipers in the building on today, hallelujah. You are 
Washed my sins away. Oh, all oh, the blood. 
my God for dying on the cross and rising again to save us all. Hallelujah. of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and this evening I invite all of you to join with the family as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together at 7 o'clock I mention it now in case I forget later 7 o'clock this evening join us have your elements your fruit of the vine and your bread and let's Celebrate the Lord's Supper together because he got up with all power in his hands. Amen. Amen. Father God, as always, I take this opportunity to praise, honor, and glorify you. Thanking you, Lord, for your love and care. Right now, Father, I do ask that you might use me as your vessel that you might speak through me to your people, that you might precede every word that leaves my mouth, touch the hearts, minds, ears of those in this congregation, that they might hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. As always, Father, if there be any honor, glory, or praise, we offer it up to you. A servant's prayer. Amen. A devoted pastor was facing a very serious surgery. And a friend visited him in the hospital to pray with him. The pastor said, an interesting thing happened today. One of the nurses looked at my chart and said, well, I guess you're preparing for the worst. I smiled at her and said, no, I'm preparing for the best. You see, I'm a Christian, and God has promised 
to work all things together for good. Boy, did she drop that chart and run out of this room. Peter wrote the book, the letter of 1 Peter to prepare Christians for a fiery trial of persecution. Yet his approach was optimistic and positive. Prepare for the best was his message. In this section of scripture that we're going to look at this morning, he gave them three instructions to follow if they would experience the best blessings in the worst times. In 1 Peter chapter 3, starting with the 8th verse, we have these words. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lip, lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Using those words and the ones that follow, I want to talk about preparing for the best, preparation for the best. Peter, in, in writing this, knew that the church was about to undergo persecution. Individual Christians were already experiencing some persecution because of their belief, but Peter knew that there was coming a general persecution of the church, and he wanted to prepare them for the worst of times. And so he wrote this little message to tell them how to experience the best blessings during this worst of times. And the first thing he says is that if you want the best blessings in the worst of times, then you need to cultivate Christian love. You see, love is a recurring theme in Peter's letters. Not only God's love for us, but also our love 
for others. Peter had to learn this important lesson himself, and he had a hard time learning it. Jesus was so patient with him, and he's patient with us. Peter says that we must begin with the love for God's people. In verse 8, he says, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. The word finally here means to sum it all up. To sum what up? Well, Peter has been talking about since the second chapter, uh, uh, verse 8, he has been talking about this impending persecution and how we as Christians must act. He talked about how we must act when dealing with one another. He talked about how we must act when husbands and wives. He talked about how we must act with masters and slaves. He talked about how we must act when dealing with non-Christians. And so he's now saying to sum it all up, to, to give you a summary of this we need to understand that just as the sum of the whole law is love, so the whole of human relationships is fulfilled in love. This applies to every Christian and to every area of life. This love is Evidence, first of all, by a unity of mind. Paul in Philippians, the second chapter, said, Have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. We are to have a mind of unity. We are to have a mind that, that Christ prayed for when he was giving his uh, prayer in John the 17th chapter he said father I pray that they will be one just as you and I are one unity does not mean uniformity it means cooperation in the midst of diversity the members of the body work together in unity, even though they are all different. Christians may differ on how things are to be done, but they need to agree on what needs to be done and why. A man criticized D.L. Moody's methods of evangelism. And so Moody said, well, I'm always ready for improvement. What are your methods? The man confessed that he had none. Then I'll stick with mine, said Moody. Whatever methods we may use, we must seek to honor Christ, win the loss, and build the church. Some methods... Some methods are definitely not scriptural, but there is plenty of room for variety in the church. 
we shouldn't get caught, caught up on comparing or complaining about what someone's doing. We just need to do what we know to do. Another evidence of love is compassion. Compassion is a sincere feeling for and with the needs of others. Our English word sympathy comes from this word. And we dare not get so hard-hearted toward each other that, that we forget about the trials and tribulations. We need to understand that we need to share in both the joys and the trials of our fellow brothers and sisters. Scripture says that we need to weep with those who, who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. The basis for this is the fact that we are all brethren in the same family. God says that we are brothers and sisters brought together in Christ. And because of that, we are taught of God to love one another. Jesus said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Then he said, they shall know that you are my disciples by your love one for another. Brothers and sisters, we cannot afford to be tearing one another down. We cannot afford to be fighting against one another. We need to be building one another up so that we can work on our common cause of taking Christ to a lost and dying world. Love also reveals itself in a tender heart toward others. Now in the Roman Empire, this was a quality that was not admired. But the Christian message changed all of that. Today, we are deluged with so much bad news that it's easy to get insulated and unfeeling. I mean, daily we hear about thousands dying. Daily we hear about wars. Daily we hear about shootings. Daily we hear about starvations. And, and it might get so bad or so overwhelming that we just get callous and it doesn't affect us anymore. But we must fight to make sure that doesn't happen. We need to cultivate our compassion. We need to always be concerned about what's happening to others. Christians should always have the heart of Jesus, who when he looked out at the multitude, he had compassion on them and saw them as sheep without a shepherd. We need to always have compassion on our fellow man. Having a humble mind is an expression of Christian love. After all, humility is the foundation for the treatment 
of others. For the humble person puts others ahead of himself. We are called over and over in the New Testament to be humble in our relationship with others. Paul says that we need to consider others better than ourselves. He never said consider yourself worthless. He doesn't say consider yourself not good. He doesn't say consider, but he's saying however good you consider yourself, just consider others better. If you do that, you will remember that you are just a creature. You are just one that God created. You, you're not God. You're not the creator. You are one of those that he created. And as such, you need to have love for others and not see yourself as better than anyone else, but see yourself as less than others. If we do that, we will have love for others. Love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Peter says the first thing that we need to do is to cultivate this attitude of love by loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. But he says we also should love our enemies. Now that's where it gets a little tough. He says in verse 9, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. The recipients of this letter were experiencing a certain amount of personal persecution because they were doing the will of God. Peter was warning them that official persecution was just around the corner. And so they had better prepare for it. The church today had better prepare too because difficult times are ahead for us. The world is no longer as tolerant as it used to be. The world no longer looks at us in a positive light. More and more we hear that Christians are intolerant. We hear that Christians are selfish. We hear that Christians are actually practicing racism and sexism and all kinds of isms. And so the world will not tolerate us or not treat us as well as it has in the past. We need to get ready for that. As Christians, we can live on three levels. We can return evil for good. Now, now that's the satanic level. That's what Satan does. He looks at our good and returns evil for it. We can return good for good and evil for evil. Now, that's a human level. That's where most of us exist. What God asks for us to do is to return good for evil. That is the divine level. Jesus is the perfect example of this latter approach. 
In 1 Peter 2, 21 through 23, Peter says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. As God's loving children, we must do more than give an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. That's the basis for justice. We must operate on the basis of mercy, for that is the way God deals with us. If he treated us justly, we would be in a world of trouble. But he has mercy on us, and we must learn to have mercy on one another. He calls us to that. He says, if you can't forgive one another, why would you expect me to forgive you? He taught us to pray in the model prayer that we should pray, forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Basically saying, if I'm not forgiving, Lord, don't forgive me. I know that's not what you want to say, but that's, that's, what, he, that's what he says. This admonition must have meant a lot to Peter himself because he once tried to fight Christ's battles with the sword. And when Paul was, not a, was an unconverted rabbi, he used every means possible to oppose the church. But when he became a Christian, Paul never used human methods or human weapons to fight God's battles. When Peter and the apostles were persecuted, they depended on prayer and God's power, not on their own wisdom or strength. When you look at Acts, the fourth chapter, you see that they were put in prison, and, and when they got out, they just went back to the house and prayed, God, give us the strength to continue doing what you've called us to do in spite of the persecution. That's what we need to do. Depend on God. We must always be reminded of our calling as Christians, for this will help us to love our enemies and do good to them when they treat us badly. We are called to inherit a blessing. The persecutions we experience on earth only add to our blessed inheritance of, in the glory of heaven tomorrow. But we also inherit a blessing today when we treat our enemies with love and mercy. By sharing a blessing with them, we receive a blessing ourselves. Persecution can be a time of spiritual enrichment for the believer. The saints and martyrs in church history bear witness to this fact. We should love each other. We should love our enemies. And thirdly, Peter says, we should love life. In 1 Peter 3, 10 through 12, he says, For whoever desires to love life, 
and see good days. Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lip from, from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. The news of impending persecution should not cause a believer to give up on life. What may appear to be bad days to the world may in fact be good days for a Christian. If the Christian will meet certain conditions. First, we must deliberately decide to love life. This is an act of will. The text says, whoever desires to love life. This is an attitude of faith that sees the best in every situation. It is opposite of the pessimistic, pessimistic attitude that is expressed in Ecclesiastes 2.17 where the uh, writer said, So I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and a striving after wind. You see, we can decide to endure life and make it a burden. Or we can decide to escape life as though we were running from a battle. Or we might decide that we'll just enjoy life because we know God is in control. Peter was not suggesting here some unrealistic psychological gymnastics that refused to face facts. Rather, he was urging his readers to take a positive approach to life and by faith make the most of every situation. That's what we need to do. By faith, trusting God, see every situation in its best light, knowing that God always works to bring about good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Peter says, secondly, we must learn to control our tongues. <laughs> Many of the problems of life are caused by the wrong words spoken in the wrong spirit. The tongue, James said, is so difficult to control that no one can tame it. I would, I would suggest that, that, that everyone should read James 3 regularly and, and see what he says about the tongue and see what, what ad, admonition he gives us. And then we need to pray Psalm 141, verse 3, daily. It says, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. We need to ask God to guard us so that we don't say the wrong things at the wrong time. 
how well Peter knew the consequences of hasty speech. There is no place for lies in the life of a saint. We need to watch our tongue. Watch what we say. Watch how we say it. Thirdly, Peter says, we must do good and hate evil. We, we need both. We need the positive and the negative. As Christians, we must always do what is good. But at the same time, we need to always hate what is evil. To turn away from something means more than just to avoid it. It means to avoid something because you despise it and loathe it. It's not enough for us to avoid sin because sin is wrong. We ought to shun it because we hate it. We need to always look at sin as vile and something we never want to do. Finally, Peter says, we need to seek and pursue peace. Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. If we go out and seek trouble, we will surely find it. But if we go out and seek peace, we will most likely find that as well. This does not mean that we seek peace at any price because righteousness must always be the basis for our peace. We don't want peace without righteousness. But we as Christians must exercise moderation as we relate to people. And we must seek to never cause problems because we want to have our own way. Scripture says in Romans 12 and 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with everyone, with all. Sometimes it's not possible. But in Romans 14 and 9, we are admonished to work hard to achieve peace. It doesn't come automatically. It requires effort, and so we need to pursue it. Someone probably say, but what if our enemies take advantage of us? <laughs> We may be seeking peace, but they are seeking war. Peter gave them the assurance that God's eyes are on his people and his ears are open to their prayers. Peter learned that lesson well when he tried to walk on water 
without looking to Jesus. We must trust God to protect and to provide. For he alone can defeat our enemies. We can't. So we just need to trust him to do it. Peter quoted from Psalm 34, 12 through 15. And I think it would be profitable for you uh, to go and read that entire psalm. What that psalm does is, first of all, it des describes what God means by good days. They are not necessarily days free from problems. For the psalmist wrote about fears in Psalm 34 and 4. He wrote about troubles in Psalm 34, 6, and 17. He wrote about afflictions in Psalm 34, 19. And he even wrote about a broken heart in Psalm 34, 18. So a good day is not a day free from problems. But a good day for the believer who loves life is, is not a day in which he is pampered or sheltered, but is one in which he experiences God's help and blessing in the midst of all his problems and trials. In the midst of what's going on, it's a day in which he magnifies the Lord. It's a day in which he experiences answers to his prayers. It's a day in which he tastes the goodness of God. It's a day in which he senses the nearness of God. The next time you think you are having a, a bad day and you want to hate your life, read Psalm 34 and you may discover that you're really having a good day to the glory of God. To experience the best blessings in the worst of times, we must covenant and cultivate Christian love. But we also need to practice the lordship of Jesus Christ. Paul says in, Peter says in chapter 3, verses 13 through 15, Now who is here? to harm you if you are zealous for what is good. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. These verses introduce the third main section of 1 Peter, God's grace in suffering. They introduce the important spiritual principle that the fear of the Lord conquers every other fear. Peter quoted Isaiah 8, 13 to 14 to back up his admonition. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord. The setting of the Isaiah quotation is significant. Ahaz, the king of Judah, faced a crisis because of an impending invasion by the Assyrian army. 
the kings of Israel and Syria wanted Ahaz to join them in an alliance. But Ahaz refused. So Israel and Syria threatened to invade Judah. Behind the scenes, Ahaz confederated himself with the Syria. The prophet Isaiah warned him against ungodly alliances and urged him to trust God for deliverance. He said to him, but the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. As Christians, we are faced with crises and we are tempted to give up give in to our fears and to make the wrong decisions. But if we honor Christ as Lord in our hearts, we need never fear men or circumstances. Our enemies might hurt us, but they cannot harm us. Only we can harm ourselves if we fail to trust God. Generally speaking, People do not oppose us if we do good. But even if they do, it is better to suffer for righteousness' sake than to compromise our testimony. Instead of experiencing fear as we face the enemy, we can experience a blessing if Jesus Christ is Lord in our hearts. When Jesus Christ is Lord in our lives, each crisis becomes an opportunity for witness. We are always prepared to make a defense. Our English word apology comes from the Greek word that is translated defense here and means a defense presented in court. Apologetics is that branch of theology that deals with the defense of the faith, every Christian should be able to give a reasoned defense of the hope in Christ, especially in hopeless situations. A crisis creates the opportunity for, for witness when a believer behaves with faith and hope because the unbelievers will always sit up and take notice that you didn't despair in what seemed like a hopeless situation. The witness must be given with gentleness and respect and not with arrogance and a know-it-all attitude. We are witnesses, not prosecuting attorneys. We must also be sure that our lives back up the defense. We can't say we trust God when we live like we don't. Peter did not suggest that Christians argue with lost people, but rather that we present to the unsaved an account of what we believe and why we believe it. In a loving manner, the purpose is not a loving manner, not to win an argument, but to win a lost person to Christ. What does it mean to honor Christ as Lord in our hearts? It means to turn everything over to him and to live only to please him 
and glorify him. It means to fear displeasing him rather than fear what men might do to us. How wonderfully this approach simplifies our lives. It is Matthew 6.33, which says, Seek ye first the Lord and his kingdom and his righteousness. And, and Romans 12.1 and 8, which says, you know, present your body as a living sacrifice. Combined into a daily attitude of faith that obeys God in spite of all. It means being satisfied with nothing less than the will of God in our lives. One evidence that Jesus Christ is Lord in our lives is the readiness with which we witness to others about him and seek to win them to Christ. If you want to be prepared for the best, you need to cultivate Christian love. You need to practice the Lordship of Christ. And if we do that, we will begin to see that we are practicing the best. As difficulty comes to the church, we must cultivate Christian love, for we need one another's help and encouragement as never before. We must also maintain a good conscience because a good conscience makes for a strong backbone and a contagious witness. The secret is practice the lordship of Jesus Christ. If we fear God, we need not fear men. Shame arises from the fear of men, said Samuel Johnson, conscious from the fear of God. May we, the children of God, continue preparing for the best. Because with God, the best is yet to come. Father God, we thank you for these messages from Peter, instructing us about how to prepare for the best. Lord, as difficult times come, help us to strive to love one another as we cultivate Christian love. Strive to declare and praise you as we practice the Lordship of Jesus Christ. As, and help us, Lord, to always have a strong, clear conscience that we know that what we believe we are living and we live for Christ. Lord, if there's anyone that doesn't know you as Savior, we pray that you would touch their hearts right now, that you would convict them of sin and convince them that Christ has done everything necessary for their salvation. And then, Lord, we pray that you would draw them to yourself. For those who are yours, help us, Lord, to be faithful 
in our love for one another. Help us to be faithful in our witness to the lost. Help us to do good and to hate evil. Help us, Lord, to prepare for the best as we live through the worst. Father, we ask your blessing on the offering. We pray that it will be used for the building of your kingdom. We pray you will bless those who give and those who have a desire to give. We pray that you will bless them with the opportunity. And Father, as we leave this place, we pray that your spirit will go with us. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever ask or think. Through the power that is already at work in us. Be glory in the church and in this world now and forevermore. And all of God's people said amen. If you would like to become a member of St. John or if you would like to uh, accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we'd ask that you fill out the form. There should be one in the pocket uh, in the uh, pew, in the pockets in the pew. If not, raise your hand. The ushers will bring you one. Or you can get one out of the front desk. Once you fill that out and turn it in either to the usher or to the front desk or in the offering uh, plate, we will get back to you quickly. We invite you to become a part of us here at St. John as we strive to serve our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, as we strive to make a dis difference in the communities of, around the North Campus and around this campus, as we strive to serve God in a world that increasingly is antagonistic to Him. We do invite you to be involved with the things that are going on at St. John. On Sunday, we have two worship services, one at the North Campus at 9 a.m. and at this campus at 11. We have a, a church school class at 2 p.m. Uh, just go, go to our website and go online to, to, to become a part of that. Today is first Sunday, and so we have communion Tonight at, at 7 p.m., we invite you to log in, having your bread and fruit of the vine uh, available, and we will uh, commune with our Lord together. On Monday, we have preparation for a food giveaway at the South Campus at 10 a.m., right down the hall here. On Tuesday, we have food giveaway at 12 noon, both at the South Campus and at the North Campus. On Wednesday, we have prayer mood prayer meetings online at 12 noon and at 6.30 p.m. And then at 7 p.m., we have our church school. We invite all of you to join us as we study God's Word together. On other days, there are other meetings on Thursdays. Uh, on the fourth Thursday of each month, the young adults uh, have their gathering, and we invite young adults to join with them as a part of that. 
as always, uh, we need to follow our protocols. No gathering after church. Uh, just praise God and go home. Amen. We'll now turn you into the hands of the deacons and the ushers. I hope that you have been blessed by the word that went forth today. And listen, without your support, we can't do what we're doing here. And so let me tell you a little bit about tithes and offering. And it's here in this scripture, Malachi 3, 8, and 9. And it says, Will a man rob God, yet ye have robbed me? But ye say, Wherein have we robbed thee in tithes and offering? Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me even this whole nation. Now let me take it a step further. And it says in verse 10, Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. That's what the word says. So we encourage you to continue giving to St. John. Now listen, there's various ways that you can give. One, you can give in person during our worship celebrations. Two, you can mail or drop off at the South Campus or our, our administration building. Three, you can give online. Now listen, you can find more information about where those locations are by visiting our website. Um, in the meantime, we thank you for joining us today. We hope that you were blessed, and we hope that you will have a blessed week in the Lord.